Welcome to the Sober Nation FM podcast, where we're putting recovery on the map. I'm your host, Jonathan Sylvester. This show is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Do you want to take your recovery to the next level? Do you want more support, community, and fellowship? Sobriety Engine is an incredible community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. You can get a ton of great tips, resources, and guidance to help you succeed in recovery and in life. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. Sober Nation FM is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle all while supporting your sobriety, then you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave a review. Nation, let's hop right into today's episode. Today, I'll be speaking with former Denver Broncos wide receiver, Vance Johnson. Thanks for coming on the show, Vance. Hey, brother, Jonathan. Good to see you, man. How are you doing? Good, good to see you. I'm doing great, man. So I was hoping we could just jump right in here and start off with you just sharing about what things were like before you got sober and how you actually ended up finding recovery. No, interesting enough. First, let me say this. I love seeing we got a a white guy on one side and brother on the other side, and we're staying connected, man. This go, is our man. recovery community. God bless you, brother. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, before uh, I got clean, man, I just really, um, I lived the edited life. It was kind of a, a version that people really didn't see from the inside. They just saw from the outside with the fame and the glory. I grew up around a lot of domestic violence and a lot of uh, abuse uh, from the Northeast, especially. It was really tough um, with what my father had to experience as a child. And, then when he grew up and got married to a young 15-year-old, and that's where I was born from, watching him beat on the mother, you know, smoke weed, take PCP, I think it was back at that time, drink alcohol heavily, but he was real functional when it came to, you know, living and taking care of his family, but I had no identity. And so as I grew up, to me, an identity had to be something achieved and not something received. And so I just worked hard to try to make myself famous. And that's how all levels of my athletic career from childhood all the way through college, I was one of the best in the world. And even when I got drafted by the Denver Broncos, I thought I finally had made it when I landed in Denver and was literally the newspaper says Broncos advance. If you ever want to know where that word came from, advance, just kidding. <laughs> um, but, you know, I ended up actually dropping a punt uh, early in the preseason of my career and thought I was going to get cut. And I got introduced to alcohol, literally thinking I was going to get cut. So I didn't give a F anymore. Oh, wow. I started then after I didn't get cut smoking weed too. And I started feeling good. If you know what I'm saying, if you're in oh, recovery, yeah. oh, when yeah. you use, it was because of our feelings, just like right now it's happening in our country. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll continue to get into the story. Yeah, for sure, man. So, so that's really incredible. So, uh, because I know you were into track and field and, and you were just, man, a, a, uh, an elite performer to say the least, uh, which is just really, you know, awesome. So, but now did, did you have any introduction to drugs or alcohol prior to that, that drop punt incident when you were already in the NFL? The only experience I had with any type of addiction was watching it in my father, literally. And I hated him for it. I hated thinking that anybody, these drug addicts and alcoholics, had any ability or chance to survive in this world. And I promised myself I wasn't going to be like them, not even realizing that even in my athletic ability and knowing that that was the only thing that made me feel good, that was my addiction. So when I went to the uh, 
uh, got in combine. I ended up blowing Jerry Rice away in the 40 meters. So that made me feel good. When I went to the Olymp to the um, NCAA championships, a gold medal for representing the United States of America in the Pan American Games. So that was my addiction was making myself feel worthy. And then unfortunately, when I got to the NFL and I had my first bad experience thinking my career was over with, that introduced me to alcohol, prescription pills, uh, different opiates and opioids, pain medications. I mean, I thought, man, I'm living the life now because I made it. Yeah. So behind the scenes, people didn't see what was really happening in my life. All they saw was the touchdowns and people screaming out, Vance Johnson's going to catch the winning touchdown. But then when I got off the field, I was either having sex with someone I shouldn't have been having sex with, smoking weed and taking pills and literally just trying to survive my emotions and feelings and the underlying issues that I grew up with by leaning on addiction. Not even, I didn't even call myself an addict. To me, it was because I could do this because I'm better than you. Wow. And so I had money. And unfortunately, I was so sexual, act, sexually active, I was all, a whore too. So literally, man, I was living in addiction all through my career, not even realizing that it was going to lead to something that was just really tragic in my life. Um, I was married while I was in the NFL, brother, a total okay. of four times. Wow. And wow. we got three more on top of that, but this was just during my NFL career. I was driving drunk most of the time. I had warrants out for my arrest because of my domestic issues. Mm -hmm. And all of it was fused because of the field, rather, because of the addiction that I was living in and just being out of my freaking mind. The only time I had a reality was when I was on the football field. Wow. And so between relationships and, you know, man, in my addiction, during my career, I had three women pregnant at the same time. Wow. wow. One was my wife. I mean, you, you can't get in it. It's a movie, brother. I'm telling you, 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 yeah. you cannot believe how I lived in my addiction, but yet because I was this famous, popular person getting pulled over, going 150 miles an hour up Highway 5 in California, crashing and having to go to the hospital in the ambulance in one of my accidents when I was high. And the doctor I told, and he knew I was this famous football player, right. they hid me down by a morgue so that the cops couldn't see where I was at. I mean, what's happening today is nothing new. It's been going on for a long time. For a man. long time, yeah. And all through that 10 years of my career, in my suicidal attempts, in my mind, just I was out of my mind. Literally, this is one of my accidental times right here trying to kill myself. I don't know if you can see that. Wow, yeah. I was in the hospital for two weeks, actually. And that was just one of the times I was in the hospital, seriously. They had to put me to sleep while they worked on me. And it was just, I was out of control during my career. Man, but I mean, people loved it because I was playing ball and making touchdowns. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You you were doing what you know uh, what they they were there to see you do, and that's what mattered to them. Right. So, uh, you know, I'm always interested to hear, Vance. Like, what was the progression like for you? I mean, so you had this moment, you know, fumbled the punt return, think you screwed up. You know, the the alcohol presents itself maybe at a party or something like that. I'm guessing, and you're just like, okay, f it. You know, I'm I'm doing this. It's all over anyway. Um, and obviously it wasn't all over, but so what, what was the progression like? I mean, how, how long did it take to lead into the prescription pills and, and then, and then some of these other things that were going on? Yeah, the progression was this. So after we played against the San Francisco 49ers, it was the fourth preseason game of my NFL career, okay. literally the very start. And I dropped the punt against the 49ers and they ended up winning the ball game. So the, Alcohol didn't come by a celebration. It came by brokenness. 
So because on the way to practice the next day, thinking I was going to get cut, my friends who were drinkers stopped by a liquor store and said, Vance, you're going to have to get cut anyway, dude. Have a drink, man. Wow. Dude, I had a drink and I was like, oh, I don't give a crap if I get cut or not. Yeah. Right. So then when I showed up to the practice field and I didn't get cut, now I got introduced to alcohol. But I'm better than my father because, see, I drink and I can control my, my drinking. Well, as I started to go out and party with my friends and play ball, what I noticed was on the weekends, especially after football games, the first thing I would do is start drinking. So I had kind of a controlled way of doing it. Then all of a sudden I watched guys in the locker room sometimes during the games at halftime get these shots in their butts, their yeah. shoulders, and their ankles. And I was yeah. like, what is going on? And they said, oh, don't worry, young man, you'll figure it out. So that was them being shot with different types of morphine, all different types of drugs, right. so you could take away the pain. Well, that's how I got introduced when I started having injuries. So when I took painkillers, when I, when I drank, when I did all these different things, mm -hmm. I started to play really brave because in my mind, I didn't care if I got killed or not. So yeah. I was reckless. Right. So that was kind of the progression. And to me, it was just kind of controlling and making sure that I had the edge. And because I didn't take steroids, I wasn't an addict, right? Right, right. Me, you were an addict, you took steroids, liar. Yeah. So during that time is when, you know, I started to uh, just really lean on uh, my uh, drugs and my alcohol and my partying after my, after, you know, during the, uh, the off season, so to speak. Oh. And literally, dude, I just lost tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars. I would come out to Las Vegas where I am right now, and I would lose probably, you know, $100,000, $200,000 gambling. I know one time I owed Las Vegas so much money. This was during my career. Yeah. I owed one of the casinos so much money. They held me hostage no until the way. Broncos paid them. Can you imagine what? if they had social media back then? What? Oh, my God. <laughs> I would have went viral, man. <laughs> now, I'm not even talking to you about all the different highlights and touchdowns and yeah. the craziness and how popular I was as an athlete. Right. Now, I'm not telling you about the 60 and 79-yard touchdown runs and the immaculate catches I was making against some of the best athletes out there. That was the only time I really was enjoying my life. But after I would be out there just having a good time partying and sleeping around, I actually ended up getting a girl pregnant, man, the third girl pregnant. She was going to have an abortion, so I ended up marrying her. And when we came back home from Las Vegas getting married, uh, I was really heavily into alcohol at the time and smoking weed with her. And I found out that she was cheating on me with my teammates. Wow. My two of my teammates were screwing her. Wow. And so that's kind of what introduced me to um, different types of Xanax okay. because I just couldn't deal anymore with the emotions I was going through. Mm -hmm. That started my domestic issues. And the only way I was able to cope with anything that I was going through emotionally was by leaning on different types of pills and drugs and alcohol to cope, just like many people might be able to relate with that. That's listening to your, your podcast right now on your Zoom. Yeah, absolutely. No, man, and I can relate to that 100%. I'm sure the, the listeners and the people watching this can for sure. Man, I mean, yeah, that that is, uh, uh, God, you've touched on so many things. Like, we all have crazy stories, but I, I'd say, like, if we were going to rank things, like, yours are probably, you know, getting up there, you know, especially when you're being held hostage by uh, by a casino in Las Vegas. Yeah. I mean, that's some, that's, some, that's some pretty big stuff right there. So, so what was... You know, I would say most of us have some kind of like defining moment, right? Or, or like a rock bottom is how, how most people would refer to it. What was your defining moment? I mean, what, where did this have to lead you for you to finally say or, or to be forced 
into a situation where it's like, okay, you, you've got to make a change here. What, what was that? You know, interesting enough, the, the, what happened to me was this. So after 10 years in the NFL and three Super Bowls, you know, trying to kill myself after one of the Super Bowls, after, you know, losing against the Giants, it didn't matter about the loss. What lost was me. And I didn't even retire. I didn't get cut, man. After 10 years, I just walked away from the game. I was so tired of what to me was my reality being fake that when I left, it was like all of a sudden now I had nowhere else to go but down. So the only way we cope when we lose a relationship, when we lose a career, when we lose something that was defining us, the only way we coped then was addiction. And so that's when I leaned on even more drugs and more alcohol just to get through the day. And that's when my addiction blew up. And just like many of your you know, viewers might be able to relate with, I started stealing from family. Sure. And because I was famous, I was taking advantage of people and buying their homes in foreclosure. And I was taking the money and I was gambling. Dude, I was leaning on just drugs and alcohol to just cope with life. And I was taking advantage of the world. I was so dark that I didn't even know that I had a problem. All I knew is that I didn't feel good and this is the only way that I can cope. Right. I took drugs and alcohol to wake up in the morning, to go to sleep at night, to get through the day. And then one time, my oldest son came over. He was 19 at the time. He came over to spend time with me. You know, he said, Dad, I love you, man. I'm sorry what you're going through, but I don't blame you. You're my father. And even at that time, I was so involved in my addiction and being a whore that my son ended up trying to reach out to me. And he couldn't reach me. He was going to college because I put him to college there. And my son literally drove across the mountain to go see his mother because his, his uh, grandfather just died of cancer. And my son got killed that night. Wow. Wow. My son got ran over by a drunk driver. Mm. You know, I talk about this almost every day, but every time I, I, I even think about it, I remember how selfish I was in my addiction. I mean, a father is supposed to show his son the way he's supposed to live his life. A father's supposed to be there for his son when his son needs you. And so my son, I'm sure, tried to reach out to me, couldn't get a hold of me because I was using, and he got killed. And I remember burying my son, man, and, and I was so high that I don't even remember the grave site that he was in at first. And after I found out that my son was dead and how do we cope with life when we know that it's our fault that we lost a loved one? We use more. I literally, brother, I used myself. In fact, um, I'm going to show you this photo here. I ended up using myself. After 28 days, I called my mom and said, Mom, I'm, I'm going to die tonight, Mom. I'm going to die tonight. She ran over and jumped in her car, and she came over, and she picked me up, and we started to drive to the hospital. And by the time we made it to the hospital, brother, I ended up falling into a coma. I'm not sure if you can see that photo. Yeah, wow. But wow. for 28 days, I laid there in a coma. And at day 24, they said that I was dying and my body wasn't going to make it. So they, they took out the ventilators and then they just put oxygen in your nose and they propped you up to watch wow. you die. And my children were called and they told my kids that I was dying. And my kids said, we effing hate him. Let him die. And so that's when they pulled the plug on me. And my sister flew out to Colorado and she took that deathbed picture of me. But by the grace of God, I woke up from it, man. Wow. And when I woke up from that coma, I literally had an outer body experience when I was in my coma. I even told my mother and father that I saw two different ex-wives come to check on me. I saw two different pastors come pray over me. And my mother and father were like, what are you talking about, Vance? You're in a coma. 
I said, were they here? They said, yes, those people were actually, those specific people were here, but you were in a coma. How would you know that? Wow. I even told the nurse one time when she came in to see me that I was trying to get back down to my room at one time from upstairs on another floor, but nobody would talk to me or look at me. And she said, what are you talking about, Mr. Johnson? And I told her what was upstairs and she said, oh my God, that's upstairs, but you haven't been out of that bed in 28 days. So I'm telling you, man, when I talk to people, I let them know, listen, this life that we live in is just a dressing room for eternity. And I believe that there is an enemy that wants to destroy us. And so when we have to cope with life by using drugs and using alcohol and taking advantage of people, then all we're doing is fueling that fire so that one day we're just going to die. And that's the reason why I love going on brother shows like yourself, because I want people to know that are watching your transparency with what you're suffering with, with your addictions or with your loved one's addiction is going to turn into a transformation and going to be a testimony so that you can help others who are suffering or dealing with all different types of underlying issues, people that are dealing with addictions. They need you. And especially right now in this time, let your transparency be your transformation and a testimony to help other people that are suffering. Man, I love that. What an incredible story. And, and yeah, I mean, we hear, you know, I, I don't think it's, it's not a surprise. It's incredible. It's awesome. I, th I think it's a, you know, it's just a, an amazing story that you just shared, but it's really not a surprise to me, you know, because um, not like I was in a coma or anything, but I've, I've had some similar experiences yeah. in, in a sense, and I'm sure other people have. And um, I, I mean, it, man, it's a miracle is really what it is. So, so you, you get out of this coma and, and then, and, and what happens? Was there just a, a shift? Did you start, uh, did you go to treatment? Did you start getting involved in like a, a recovery program of some kind? Like what, what happened after that? Okay, this is what happened after that. I'm a ball player. I could do this on my own. Man. So I go move into my mom and dad's house and I'm sober for about four or five months. I'm working out, man, I'm getting strong again. Yep, yep. I'm thinking I'm gonna just be like I was when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. I'm just gonna do this all myself. This is, this is me, I'm Vance Johnson. So for about four or five months, dude, I was fine. But then all of a sudden, I meet a young lady and she says, um, how about we hang out? So we hung out. I got introduced to weed again, thinking, you know, I'll just do a little something to make myself feel better. Right. Yeah, not a and then I started drinking, you ever heard of a Corona? Oh yeah. <laughs> so I'm drinking weed, and I'm smoking yeah. weed, drinking a little bit of Corona, right? So I'm kind of just, I'm doing it my way. I'm good, man, I, I don't have a problem. Yeah. Brother, it took less than seven days before I'm going crazy again. I'm freaking using again. I'm literally almost dying, man. And I'm dying so badly. I'm driving through a canyon, I'm high, I'm screaming out to God, just praying for him to help me and save me. Man, I'm gonna tell you what happened. So everybody knew that it was, I was going downhill again and this is just where, where I was gonna die at. Okay. My seventh ex-wife, my seventh ex-wife, she reached out to the NFL. My mother and father were begging me to get help. I was blaming everything on them. I really felt like when I was crying out to God in this canyon that God heard me. And with my seventh ex-wife reaching out, a former Tampa Bay Buccaneer by the name of Randy Grimes called me and said, listen, man, you want to get treatment? I'm like, man, I ain't got no money. I'm a million dollars in debt. They said the NFL will pay for me to go to treatment. Wow. So I got on the airplane and I flew out to Florida because I really felt like the spirit of God was telling me, you need to get away from you. Hmm. I flew out to Florida. And what I did was I started to open my eyes and my ears 
and listen to the stories that were happening after I had this encounter with God and hearing the Holy Spirit of God tell me, you need to go in and listen to the stories. So even by listening to the stories of other people that were in treatment, people who came back from relapsing, I started to realize that the only reason why I climbed the height that I climbed in the NFL was to have a mighty fall so that I could be used with my testimony to not just lead treatment and go run around and talk about, yeah, I'm just going to be sober and happy for the rest of my life. But dude, I stand at the door of the recovery center so I can help people in to let them know there is hope and that this thing touches everybody. This disease of addiction touches blacks and whites and Indian. It touches rich and poor. It touches everybody. And I'm going to tell you right now, because of this COVID-19 and all the craziness happening in our country right now, literally, addiction has taken over. Alcoholism has gone up. Man, people are using drugs. They're breaking. They're doing all these things. And so it's going to be a wave of people that are going to need treatment. And that's the reason why when I left recovery, when I left treatment, I stayed in treatment because I wanted people to know how they can get help. And so that's what I do now. I go around the country and just inspiring people that are broken, that they can change, that I'm here to help them and then showing them, you know, different ways to get into treatment, whether it's for mental health or whether it's for addiction or dual diagnosis. I do everything I can, man, to just be involved and engaged with brothers like yourself in the community of recovery. Man, that's awesome. You know, one thing I, that I truly believe that you just said, and, you know, I wasn't in the NFL or anything like that, but uh, definitely had a, a fall, so to speak. And I would say that, um, you know, it really didn't, it took some time, but surprisingly enough, like when I was really doing this recovery deal and I got involved in like a 12 step program and was taking suggestions and, and doing all these things that, that I was just told to do. I mean, I really just needed someone to tell me what to do because I thought right. I had it all figured out, you know, and I, and mm -hmm. I didn't. Um, but when I started doing these things and started, you know, just taking some direction, I really started to see that just like you said, I really love what you said, that, that this was not a mistake. No. Like that this happened for a reason. And if anything, and I was just talking to one of my buddies about no. this, like, if anything, um, just being in like a 12-step program, you know, I feel like I went through the things I went through. I had the experiences that I did because at some point I'm going to be sitting across from another guy that thinks he's the only one that's ever had that experience. And we're going to, you know, we're going to be able to bond over that. And then he's going to be able to, uh, you know, to have his transformation through his transparency, like you just said, which I really like. I, yeah. I love that yeah. transformation through yeah. transparency. So, man, I, I want to ask, because you're, you're no uh, stranger to um, accomplishment and, and competition. Do you think that that competitive edge helped you in your recovery? Absolutely. And, and I'm going to be honest with you. So, because I was driven to really work hard and accomplish things when I was a child, yeah. it led me to, you know, learn how to compete. Okay. And it learned me, it, it taught me how to endure the trying times when I didn't want to work out, when I didn't want to do things, but I knew that if I took care of those things, it would make me better. Well, I'm a man in faith, so I got to share this with you. The Bible says your gift will make room for you. So that gift that I got, even though it led me to the fall that I had, the gift stayed with me because I know how to work hard in this recovery, man. I know that the temptation of wanting to use is going to always be there. Just like during this time of self-isolating that people are doing and, and social distancing, you know, I've been alone for a few months now out here in Las Vegas because we're opening another treatment program, and I'm the only one here right now waiting for the accreditation 
do you know, dude, there are women walk around with just panties on that are wanting to have sex for money. There are, there are liquor stores that are selling alcohol. They'll even deliver it to you. Mm-hmm. Right down the street from you, man, they are selling marijuana where you can just come and get your high on. All those temptations are all around me. And that's why I give God praise because I am the prodigal son and I'm here and I'm lifting the weights of recovery, man. So I can just keep planting seeds of hope and recovery with people that are needing it. This yeah. is all for a purpose. You're where you are. You failed because you had to. So that somebody else's life you could save. That's what you, that's what you're here for, man. Yeah. Otherwise, what would be your testimony? Exactly. Yeah, right. no, I, I agree 100%. And I think that's really cool, man. I mean, and, and I think, let's see. So you, you got sober. This was in October. October 2013, is that right? October 2013. Okay, yeah. So so you're coming up on seven years. I just celebrated seven years in May. I think it's a really awesome thing, man, that, um, you know, and, and look, like different strokes for different folks, right? Like different things work for different people. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like very blessed to say the least. And I'm in a similar position where, you know, man, it doesn't matter if there's bars around or if there's, you know, weed down the street at a dispensary or or, or what it's man, you know, like, as long as I continue to do the things that I need to do, like, I'm going to be okay. And it doesn't matter what the, what the temptations are that are around. I mean, in like from a, a 12 step perspective, and you've touched on this a lot, you know, it talks about um, spiritual maintenance, right. And you're kind of talking about lifting the weights of recovery. That's kind of what I'm thinking about a, a little bit. Now you, you mentioned that uh, I, and I know that you go around and you speak to a lot of groups of people and, and you share about your story and everything. What would you say is like the core of the message that, that you're really trying to share with these people? I appreciate you asking that question. And I do this too, by the way, guys um, that are listening. I always preface that there are many, many roads to recovery. Many roads to recovery. Absolutely. There are people, I mean, I've got friends, man, who are from India and, you know, friends that have no faith at all. In fact, I tell people, listen, God ain't mad at you, man, because he said that he would rather you, Jesus said, I'd rather you be cold or hot and not in between. So that means if you're cold, he's not judging you. This is what I try to share with people. I'm a man in faith. And the message I want to offer to people that are out there, there are many roads to recovery. But if you believe in God, and you believe in the God that I serve to through his son Christ, that literally this is your testimony to go out and share hope and lead people out of the darkness to snatch people out of the fire of their addiction and not to go and judge them, but to go show them love. Now, I'm not saying you're supposed to go give people money so they can figure out how to get out of the addiction themselves. Right. I'm saying when they've hit rock bottom, just like I'm going to be very transparent with you, man. I abandoned all of my children with all those women I was married to. And I have two sons that, have hated me all these years and they're in their 30s now. But do you know what? Just this week, my sons have reached out to me for help. Wow. I have one of my sons just tell me he loved me the other day. Another son just got arrested, man, in Arizona and is facing up to three years in jail. But I have an opportunity to get him into a program because of drugs, by the way. Yeah. But I have an opportunity to get him into a program so that he can go just, you know, it's a Christian-based program for one year so that he can go learn that this is his testimony too, because there are so many people that are out there that are broken. And I also tell fathers this, and mothers, and people who leave recovery who have young children, don't think that just because you left treatment that your family is supposed to forgive you right away. Wow. Because people always say, yeah, time heals all wounds. That's a lie. The only thing yeah. that heals wounds is forgiveness. And I want your listeners to hear that. Forgiveness heals wounds. 
So when you first get clean, work on your recovery and then go out there and share hope and let people see your life, a life lived in that walk, enduring through the suffering and the temptations of wanting to use again. And you're going to show people how they can do it. So that's my message, man. My message is Christ and my message is recovery is waiting for you, all of you. Well, and I like what you said, because it's just, it's real. And it's the truth. Like, you know, I shouldn't expect that I walk out of treatment or that I get sober and then like, everything's just cool with my family. Right. You know no. I mean? Uh, I, I remember that, uh, I was talking to my sponsor and I was like, I was talking about, you know, making amends and stuff like that. And, um, and I didn't really understand what that, what that meant. And, and I wanted to do it like right away, you know, it's like, I, I yeah, had like, you know, 20 days or something sober, you yeah. know, I hadn't, I was doing better, but I hadn't really changed anything, you know? Right. And, right. and I mean, I think what he pointed out, and I think what you're saying to some degree is like, stop the, I'm sorry's like the, I'm sorry. doesn't mean anything anymore. Like how many times have you said, I'm show with your action, you know? And, and that's, that's really what was pointed out to me. It's like, you know, when I really start to walk the walk, I don't really have to like, people are going to see it. People are going to see it over time, you know? And, and because man, if I like, everyone knew how manipulative was, I, you know, I was like when it was all said and done. So me trying to talk my talk, someone into forgiving me, like it just wasn't, you know, that wasn't going to happen. So Not gonna happen. I, Not gonna I, happen. I appreciate that, that honesty, man. Cause I definitely needed to, to hear that too. Now, um, so you have the Vance Johnson Recovery Center as well, correct? Out in Las Vegas. What made you de decide to, to start this up? I mean, how, how did this all come about? You know, it's the interesting story. So when I first got clean, I went back to work at the program that I got cleaned at. Okay. I actually walked away from a $2,000 a week job with the Broncos, through the Broncos, to go work for literally about 240 bucks a week for the treatment program that I got clean at. Wow. And when I got there and I started to learn about addiction, I started learning about all these different things. I saw that there was this famous guy who had his own treatment program by the name of Daryl Strawberry. And I didn't have nothing except for a bus pass. And I was still a million dollars in debt. So I'm walking down this alley one day, man, and I'm crying out to God, God, I want my own treatment program. I want my own treatment program. I promise you, brother, about five and a half years later, all of a sudden I get a call. And a program wanted to offer me a job to leave the place that I was working at. Well, I was like, I'm going to fly out there just so I can let them know. Thank you. I sure appreciate the offer. Yeah. At the end of the conversation, when I was getting ready to share with them that I appreciate them offering me, they said, Mr. Johnson, how would you like us to name a program, a facility after you out in Las Vegas? And I was like, oh, really, God? Yeah. Really, God? And yeah. I was like, yes. And you know what, though, man, I promise you this, brother, just like you said, you came up on your seven years. Seven years was the perfect timing for God to know that I was strong enough that the prodigal son could come back to Las Vegas and be able to offer hope in the very place that he lost it all. And wow. so that's the reason why the Vance Johnson Recovery Center, which we've already had a chance to have about 20 different clients here. And now we're waiting for our final accreditation from um, a joint commission after this COVID-19 lifts here in, in about a month and a half for us so that we can just keep leading people to help. I've been flying people from New York and from Oregon and from all over the country to get help. And we have programs all over the country. I'm an ambassador for a company called Oglethorpe Inc. So 
I'm here and available if anybody ever needs me. And I'm so transparent on my Facebook page that literally, if you send me a message after you get in talking to me, I'll respond personally because it's about helping people that need it. It is for sure. Now you're, you're in, you know, you're getting involved in the treatment industry. Now you've been around and been sober for a little while yourself. Um, I think to some degree, you kind of shared what, you know, some of your struggles were earlier on. What are some of the biggest obstacles that you see other people face early on in their journeys, would you say? Early on in the journey, I think people's obstacles are just that self-doubt. And when they leave, there's still a lot of in, in bondage to the underlying issues that have happened to them in their life. Yeah. Uh, the guilt that they've had. Sure. So for instance, I want your listeners to listen very carefully to, carefully to me right now that are in early recovery. Did you owe the IRS $985,000 when you left treatment? And that was just for the federal and then another 125,000 to the state. So did you owe them over a hundred, uh, over a million dollars? Had you broken seven women's hearts and abandoned all of your children by the time you got out of treatment? Seven women that I was married to. A million dollars, seven women. Was it your fault that your own kid got killed? Was it your fault that your son died? Did everybody in your life hate you and there was no reason for you to live? All those emotions and feelings bombarded me that made me feel like I wanted to die. But because I believed in recovery, and because I believed more even in my faith that recovery was possible, I needed to trust that the walk that other people that I loved and believed in who were walking in recovery were doing it, that, that I could do it too. And then as I started to walk in this really young, like a, like a seed, in fact, I tell people this, when I was in school, we used to have this exercise where you would have a cup and you put some dirt in it and you put one seed in it and you had to pour water on it to let the plant grow out of it. And one day that plant would eventually sprout out of the ground. Well, if you literally went and you pulled that little bitty plant out of the cup, that one root, it's not gonna survive. Right. You have to keep watering that small plant. And then you have to replant that plant with other small plants. That's your recovery community. You have to reach out to those who are early in their recovery too. And people that have been in recovery for a long time, it's about community. And so if you trust in those things, then you can walk this thing out and you can start growing and getting your muscles. And that's exactly what I want to encourage people that are doing that are just now, even if they're one day or a week in recovery, it's possible. And your story is going to help save somebody else's life because it's not about us anymore after we walk the walk out. It's about others. And then once people start looking up to you because you're walking in your recovery, they're going, you're going to start feeling like I owe them something, right? Yeah. yeah. I owe them truth. So I got to keep walking this thing out. And again, because I'm a man in faith and I believe in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he said, my sheep hear my voice and the stranger they won't follow. The stranger is the addiction. And my Savior's voice is salvation. I don't want to start preaching, man. <laughs> well, so, so tell me, I mean, because you, you've, you've talked about just your involvement in, in your church and everything like that. What, what else does, uh, what else is involved in your recovery today? Like, what, what do you do to, to maintain and, and grow your sobriety? What does that look like? Well, another thing is this, there, there are two different things that I do. One is when I moved out to Las Vegas, I still wanted to be accountable. And so I don't know if you guys have heard of a former <clears throat> Philadelphia Eagle by the name of Randall Cunningham. Yeah. 
uh, Hall of Fame quarterback. It's just an amazing guy. He actually is a pastor out here in Las Vegas, and him and I knew each other when we were first rookies in the NFL. And I asked him if I could be under him when I first moved to Vegas because I needed to be accountable to somebody. Hmm. The other thing I needed to do was put up guardrails. And those guardrails are something I like to go around and just share literally to teach the people that are in early recovery that guardrails are actually a sign so that you can hit the guardrail possibly, but then you don't go off into the danger. Right. And that guardrail is knowing the different barriers that you need to stay within so that you can hold on to your recovery. Just like I mentioned to you guys about my whoredom when I was uh, younger and how there's strip clubs, you know, close to where I am right now. Right. There are places that I used to be able to smoke weed at. So by holding myself accountable, I'm on my social media sites. I do the Zooms like with you right now because yeah. that's going to keep me accountable too. And keeping people and being involved in the community. And most of all, what I do the most, guys, is I'm on my knees and I'm just crying out and praying every single day. And that's what I did today before I went on with you. That's awesome. That's awesome, yeah. man. That's, that's really great. So before we wrap up here, Vince, what is one piece of advice that you would like to share with the Sober Nation? What I want to share with Sober Nation and piece of advice I would like to give for your followers is to not give up, to know that relapse is a part of recovery, to know that there is hope and that there is a purpose for your life. And those of us who have had thoughts of suicide, those thoughts aren't yours. If you get past those thoughts, which I know you can, you can share with somebody else how, you know what, I used to feel that way too. I used to want to die. So you can encourage them that that voice is not theirs. It's just a disguised voice trying to talk them out of their life because their life has purpose. And those who struggle with addiction, for some reason, I believe, and this is going to be hard for you to hear right now, guys, but I got to share it with you. It's your gift. That was a gift given to you so that you can fight against it because you're gonna have generations of family members who are gonna to need to know that it's possible to recover from the bondage of addiction. And you're the one that's gonna be able to share that hope with them. Wow, that's incredible advice. Yeah, no, I agree again, 100%. It's, I think that, you know, again, everything I experienced and, uh, you know, I view my, my addiction and this past life, life that I live as an asset, not a liability. You know, it introduced me to, Preach it, brother. You know, to this great life that I have now. So that's right. I, I think that's awesome advice, man. Well, you can learn more about uh, the Vance Johnson Recovery Center by visiting vancejohnsonrecoverycenter.com. You can connect with Vance on uh, Facebook. And thanks again for coming on the show today, Vance. Jonathan, I appreciate it, man. Love your show, brother. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the info from today's episode. Sober Nation FM is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Sobriety Engine is a free online community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. This show is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle while supporting your sobriety, you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And again, whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. Nation, thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.